1: featuring multiple guests who have appeared in their own episodes on the Jesus Calling podcast speaking to the power of love in their lives. Love comes in many forms, but none is more powerful than to know we are unconditionally accepted and loved by God, the One who created us. We hope you are able to tap into the powerful force of love in your life through these stories about how love transformed, healed, and brought a sense of belonging and purpose to those who were willing to recognize it and welcome it into their lives. We'll start with a thought from country music singer and American Idol finalist, Lauren Elena. I grew up obsessed with American
2: Idol. It was my favorite TV show. And if I got in trouble, I wasn't allowed to watch American Idol. That was my (laughs) punishment. And I told people from the time I was like six years old that I was gonna be on American Idol someday. I actually auditioned for this thing called Chattanooga Idol. And if you win that, you don't have to stand in the lines. And I got fifth place in Chattanooga Idol. I didn't even make top three. But I auditioned anyway. My parents drove me up to Nashville. And the guy who won, I watched him audition and not make it. It was the craziest thing. I started crying. And I was like, Mom, we have to go home because he beat me. And my mom said, sit down. We're going to stay. If you don't audition, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. I can't believe I did that at 15. It, the pressure after the show is what was really hard for me. Cause I went from being a small town girl to a girl in the public eye. And when I was on American Idol, that show was like huge. I think there were like 40 million votes the night of the finale or something ridiculous. There were a lot of viewers. And I was kind of in my awkward phase. You know, everybody goes to the awkward phase. I just happened to go through mine on national television. <laughs> and people are mean online. Like people can be really, really mean and I would say the hardest part of my journey was like 15 to 19 trying to figure out fame and how to be the happy-go-lucky girl but also deal with the criticism. It was really tough for me for a while. I started struggling with an eating disorder in middle school and then I went on national television and people would make comments about my weight. and. There were like blogs that only called me Miss Piggy and they put pig noses on my face. I was 15, already struggling with an eating disorder. So that was kind of recipe for disaster. And I really struggled for a few years and till it caused some serious health problems for me. And then I started doing therapy and stuff on how to deal with that scrutiny. Cause there's no preparation for that. No amount of confidence in the world prepares you for total strangers to have an opinion about you. And I had to work really hard to get in a place where I feel good about myself and I focus on the things that I do like about myself, and it kind of takes the power away from those people. I can't control what they're going to say. There are always going to be people there that are going to have something to say that is not nice. But if I feel good about myself and I have people around me that lift me up, that takes the power away from them. I kind of grew up in a a household that there were lots of ups and downs, but the one thing that I do feel like my parents nailed was Jesus' love and his unconditional love. And I never felt like I wasn't loved. Going through what I've gone through publicly and all of the things, the one constant thing I always had was Jesus. I say a lot, we turn our back on him. He never turns his back on us. And anytime we're willing to go back to him, he's always there. I spent a few years after American Idol feeling the pressure of the spotlight and having to be this perfect girl and, and trying to be a role model and trying to be this and trying to be that. And I really carried the weight of wanting to be someone that people could look up to to the point where I was kind of hiding who I am. And. Then I started writing these songs about these really personal things and it freed me. I don't want some young girl out there looking at me and thinking that I'm just the most confident person in the world because I choose to be confident. It did not come naturally to me. I've always been outgoing. I've always had a big personality, but I was very insecure for a long time and I've had to work really hard on learning to love myself. The most rewarding thing is when a young girl comes to me and says, I grew up with an alcoholic parent, and knowing that you've gone through that and how you've pushed through that is so helpful to me. Or I had a girl that came to me and had an eating disorder from high school on, and she checked herself into a clinic because she finally realized, oh, like I don't have to be scared to admit that I have this issue. And if I can do that, that's all
1: I, that's all I wanna do. That's so rewarding to me digital illustrator and social justice advocate, Danielle Koch.
0: I've always been super passionate about justice-related issues, racial reconciliation, all of these topics. In January, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I saw the opportunity to kind of create an illustration that was different from the cute stuff that I would normally draw. And I wanted to speak truth to his legacy and kind of reframe what I feel like his holiday had become to what I truly wanted it to be about. And when I posted it, it was shared by people I didn't know. Like I saw people outside of my family and friends sharing it. And I said, huh, I wonder if I keep going with this, if maybe I can illustrate harder topics and get more people to be willing to listen, if it's pretty. I would draw about things like how it's important to see in color and not say that you don't see color. and how to navigate race-related conversations in a healthy way, and what allyship means. A big part of why I'm so passionate about justice is tied back to my relationship with God and how I view His calling for our lives. So my favorite scripture of all time is Luke 22:27. 20, 27. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And part of the reason why that really shaped the work that I do is that when it comes to loving your neighbor, it sounds really good in theory, and we all want to be able to do that fully. But when it comes to things like disagreements or not having the same lived experiences, it can put a barrier between you and the love that you want to have for your neighbor. And I love the fact that in that scripture, loving God comes first because it's through that love that we are empowered to fully love our neighbors as ourselves. Because for me, at least, I found that it's hard to do that completely of my own accord. And so that love that I have for God and cultivating what it means to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength really helps direct the relationships that I have with people in the everyday. And it only makes me want to pursue justice and want to understand other people's lived perspectives and want to help change people's minds. I encourage people to seek the scriptures about how God is consistently calling us to seek justice and love mercy, how he's giving us stories like the good Samaritan and illustrating what it means to not just walk past by someone who is struggling, but to help them, lift them up and be there in a tangible way. And so that's the first thing that I encourage people to do, is to first understand God's heart in that area and help Him equip us to love our neighbors well. No matter what your skin color is, no matter what your ethnicity is, we are all worthy love. We are worthy of being valued and we're worth fighting for.
1: Travel expert, TV, radio, and podcast host, Rick Steves.
3: I've just had such an interesting life because I've been able to travel, and I've traveled with my faith, traveling to a place like Guatemala or some place that is really poor, that has an obscene gap between rich and poor, and that's dealing with a lot of structural poverty. Uh, And Guatemala is a good classroom for finding out about why there is hunger in a world with such abundance. You know, half of humanity is trying to live on five dollars a day, and you know that's okay. Uh, you can have dignity on five dollars a day, and I hope you can get wealthier. But you know, you can still have dignity and raise your kids and get educated and have healthcare. But if you are trying to live on two dollars a day, that's desperation. And ten percent of humanity is living on two dollars a day. Ten percent of humanity um, works all day long to. Earn less than what we spend for our daily latte at the corner cafe, and it's not a guilt trip for me. It's an opportunity to be tuned into the need of our fellow, you know, brothers and sisters of God south of the border, and I want to know about that. I want to humanize these people, and that all combines to sort of uh, power my uh, what's behind my teaching. And I, I teach in a secular world, but I teach with a, a Christian passion for the the poor and for economic justice and for celebrating God's creation. I, I love to meet other people of faith, and um, I love to share my faith with people that have no faith. But very fundamentally, we are children trying to figure out our relationship with God and trying to get close to our Heavenly Father. I remember when I was in Papua New Guinea, I was there working on a video for the Lutheran Church, and, uh, you know, we got to know the, the people in these different villages, and I remember one of the people we met said he can identify each of the children in his village by the footprint they leave in the sand when they run by, that they would know the footprint of the children. Talk about love. And they, and then I learned they live in a community where there's no word for orphan because it'd be inconceivable that a child wouldn't have love from the community if, if they didn't have their biological parent. For me, the most beautiful souvenir is bringing home a broader perspective. I wouldn't be able to see the, the love of a mother and her child in a, in a very poor part of the world, the, the power of that. I, I wouldn't be able to hang out with uh, people in the developing world who have nowhere near the material wealth that we have, but have spiritual blessings way beyond what we've got. Breaking bread with people who are poor but live with a mindset of abundance rather than breaking bread with people who are wealthy and have a mindset of scarcity. Uh, all of this is very challenging to me. And uh, I want to be honest about my faith, and I want to be honest about how privileged I am, and I want to be consistent about my embrace of Christian ideals as a citizen of this planet. Travel helps you um, appreciate how many people over how many centuries, with how many styles of faith, have have praised God. We have a deep-seated need to just have quiet time to be with our Creator, with our Heavenly Father. Here's a passage from Jesus Calling, dated july thirteenth. I want you to experience the riches of your salvation, the joy of being loved constantly and perfectly. You make a practice of judging yourself based on how you look or behave or feel. If you like what you see in the mirror, you feel a bit more worthy of my love. When things are going smoothly and your performance seems adequate, you find it easier to believe you are my beloved child. When you feel discouraged, you tend to look inward so you can correct whatever's wrong. Instead of trying to fix yourself, fix your gaze on me, the lover of your soul. Rather than using your energy to judge yourself, redirect it to praising me. Remember that I see you clothed in my righteousness, Radiant in my perfect love. When I read that, I think, as a traveler, how thankful I am that I'm never alone in my travels. I can be surrounded by thousands of strangers, and I'm not alone, I'm with Jesus. I can be walking on a ridge high in the Alps, and I'm not alone, I can be sitting in a massive church, I can be sitting in a humble church, and I I don't get lonely when I'm traveling, and for that, I'm really thankful. And one thing great about travel is it, it strips me down to simple living and it lets me know what riches really are. It helps me to be honest with my relationship with the world and with my relationship with God. And time and time again, I find myself surrounded by and inspired by God's love.
1: Author and abuse survivor, Jennifer Greenberg.
4: When you grow up with abuse, that is your normal. You are acclimated to that environment. And so when you start to leave that environment, no matter what it may be, you're going to come to new realizations for how dysfunctional your past environment was. Because suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, not all men are violent not all people are perverted. And so you go through this process of just unwinding the knots, the emotional knots that your abuser has tied your soul in. And it's a painful process, but it's also very relieving. And the more you unwind those knots, the freer your heart feels and the more you're able to enjoy healthy relationships. You have to become vulnerable, which is so frightening, I think, especially for an abuse survivor because you're so used to being on the defensive. You're so used to suppressing your emotions to minimizing what's going on around you because it is literally too painful to deal with. And so you've got to kind of unclench yourself. You've got to relax your heart, relax your soul, and learn to trust again and learn to relax again. When we talk about how the gospel addresses abuse and abuse survivors, one of the things that I found powerful was realizing that Jesus Christ himself is an abuse survivor. He was abandoned and betrayed by his dearest friends. His own family called him crazy. He was falsely arrested, he was beaten, he was hung naked on a cross, humiliated before everyone. And so, you know, when we realize this, when we put what happened to Christ in the context of abuse, we realize that not only do we have a Savior who redeems us from our sins, we have a Savior who can relate with us in an extraordinarily personal and profound way. My tears of sorrow turn into tears of joy because I knew that no matter what happened, God would never forsake me. He would never abandon me because I knew that God was faithful, that He loved me, and that He is involved in my life on a personal level.
1: Christian singer, songwriter Jenny Owens.
5: I grew up in Jackson, Mississippi. My parents divorced when I was pretty young, so I live with my mom and my brother growing up. I lost my eyesight at the age of three due to a degenerative eye condition from my dad's side of the family. That was not a huge surprise to my parents, and so they were prepared and they made sure that I. Got to do all the things the neighbor kids did. So I rode bikes and climbed trees and roller skated and did all the things that probably scared our neighbors half to death. But I, I really didn't know that I was different until I went to school and to church, which is where I realized that, you know, the problem wasn't necessarily that I was blind, but it was that I didn't belong. And, you know, we all longed to be accepted. Finding My place in a world that said, you don't fit here, became pretty tremendous focus of my life. What I find over and over is the only way to truly counteract and obliterate those voices of doubt and insecurity and those voices that might even speak things that the world would say is true. I mean, the world would say... You are blind, therefore you are weak. You are weaker than the rest of us. You know, you're not as uh, useful as the average bear. And that's true. That's a world perspective, probably. So I think the only way to counteract those voices, though, is to know really well and to hear and receive what God's voice says about us. God has said in his word so many truths about us that He has plans to prosper us and to give us a future and a hope, that He loves us unconditionally, that His grace, that His mercy is new every morning. And I remember discovering this verse that Paul wrote to the Philippians from prison, which is super interesting to me because Philippians is very much about joy and finding peace and being gentle, and, and he's in prison, and I just think, I would not write that from prison. But he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And it goes on to say, the verse we all know, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I realized Paul knew something I did not know. He had such a large view of Christ. Christ wasn't there to just fulfill his desires or to give him rest, but Christ was his all. And he knew that Jesus was always holding him, that he would be until eternity. He knew that he had hope forever. And he just, he also knew that Christ had been through far darker, the most dark circumstances that could ever occur. Well, I want Jesus to bring me comfort or to bring me peace, or I want to be with Jesus today so that he will bring me peace or so that I can ask him for these things. And so to think about just following Him so that I serve Him and so that I do what He has designed for me, that it's about looking to Him and that my fulfillment comes not in Him fulfilling my desires, but in me living close to Him. I have really been wrestling with how to share about and how to even understand for myself what it looks like for those of us who are believers to let God's voice of love and truth really impact not only our hearts and not only coming into time with Him every day, but also just how it impacts our lives. Like How do we go and be and do as He has called us to? you know, with with love at our core, with pouring out of love, not pouring out of, okay, if I'm a good Christian, this is what I should do, but pouring out of the love that He has poured into us. But first we have to receive that love, and we can't receive that love unless we go back to Him every day and find that love and rediscover it and discover new parts of it, is just what does it look like for God's voice of love and truth to be dominant in our lives and how does that change our lives.
1: Olympic gold medal gymnast Sean Johnson East and NFL player Andrew East.
6: So I was at the London Olympics working for the Today Show. I went to the USA Cycling final where I met this cyclist named Guy East. We got to talking for almost two hours during the entire race time. And he just kept saying, you need to meet my younger brother. I think you'd be perfect for him. And flew back to the United States. I was currently on Dancing with the Stars at the time. Him and his brother, his younger brother Andrew, flew out to Los Angeles to meet me and it kind of worked out for me.
7: Not quite, you, you made me wait nine months between the first But it and still it worked out. Me. Okay. <laughs> it worked <laughs> out. <laughs>
6: Jesus Calling has been in our relationship since day one. I feel like it was like one of the very first things we did together as a couple that was religious. Like I remember dating and we would share the Jesus Calling book and we would like read it together every single day. Um, But I think it's just, it's a great way for the average person to not be overwhelmed by faith. It's like you open it up, you read this one page that connects you and brings you closer to God and reminds you of like what a greater purpose is. And then you go on your day with this like reminder in the back of your head. And I, I love that because I feel like sometimes within the faith world or the religion world, people can get very intimidated by it, which is always unfortunate and it's understandable. But with Jesus Calling, it's just great to be able to like open up, get reconnected, and then move on.
7: Yeah, I, I love Jesus Calling because it's so approachable. As John was saying, like not overwhelming but now it's kind of a good way to start my daily devotion and quiet time where i'll start with that and then it leads into other things and i mean just having a little time in the morning to just sit and reflect is so valuable i think mm-hmm. in our lives and whatever phase of life you're in whether you're in high school college wherever having that time to like really think about how much you've been blessed <laughs> how much you have to be thankful for and then what you want out of life and who God made you is so important.
6: So when we found out we were pregnant for the first time two years ago, it was uh, the greatest moment ever, the scariest moment ever. But then we ended up miscarrying almost a week later and we did document it. And at the time we were documenting it because we had talked about potentially starting a family and like doing all of this, but documenting it for ourselves just to have it as record. And so when we had documented it and then we lost the pregnancy, I was the one who was the first to say, I want to post this. And if you were to know our dynamic and to know kind of our digital presence, I'm always the very hesitant (laughs) one. I'm always the one that's like, I don't want to post it. I don't want to film this. I don't want to share this with the world. And for me, I had heard about a lot of my friends, my mom had miscarried. I I knew about miscarriage, but I had never been that closely tied to it. And I, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to move forward. And for me, the only thing that made sense was sharing it with people so I could hear their stories. And I didn't know if it was gonna get backlash. I didn't know what type of feedback we would get if people would take it in the wrong manner, but I almost extended it to the world as an olive branch of kind of like, I'm telling you this and I'm putting my heart on the line, hoping you can help me. And it did, it helped me heal so much, just seeing how many thousands of stories came back, people who had gone through the same thing. And it was just kind of a way for us to almost like ask everyone to, to help us go through it. I would say before that moment, before getting the feedback that we had with such a vulnerable time in our lives, I was one of those that saw social media and saw the followers as not necessarily a good thing. I saw it as always needing to keep yourself guarded and protect yourself from from the world and what you share. And it was the first time I actually saw our community as almost family. And saw so much good in people. Like I know, I know everyone has an opinion. I know everyone has a bad day. You know, people will always have those negative comments, I guess. But when you truly need help, the world is good.
7: I think the natural inclination when you go through something traumatic like that is for a lot of people to just like isolate yourself, deal with it personally, bury it, and like hopefully you'll make it through, Mm -hmm. but Sean was brave enough to share that. The people in our immediate lives that we see every day, physically, um, might not have gone through this, but there's millions of people out there who have experienced something like this Mm -hmm. and sharing it with them, kind of gave them the, the license to also share their story. And it was amazing the feedback we got. And there's so much power in community and it helped Shawn get through it. I think it helped a lot of other people go through it. And there's people that approach Sean in tears when they see her and they're like, thank you for sharing that. Like it meant so much to me and, and it gave me freedom.
1: Rhymist, activist, and author, Lecrae.
8: Coming from the cultural context that I come from, one, the culture of hip hop, which is definitely bravado, machismo, you know, tough guy exterior (laughs) and then even how I was raised without my father around my uncles were afraid that I would become a mama's boy and so they they did things to toughen me up so to speak that weren't healthy for me I did not have language or I wasn't comfortable with expressing myself in that in the kind of way that made me vulnerable and exposed me I'm very grateful though for some of the leadership that I've seen happen in culture and society, seeing Jay-Z mention him going to therapy was actually very helpful for me because it gave me the courage to say, okay, this is a thing that I don't have to be ashamed of. And then I have a lot of family members who are incarcerated and I've always really been interested in incarcerated individuals. And so over and over again, I would hear stories of the toughest individuals going through mental health battles once they're in solitary confinement. And I didn't understand it until I went through clinical depression, but even their stories gave me some encouragement that even the toughest of people have a breaking point. And so I knew I had reached my breaking point and um, I knew I needed professional help. And then I met my therapist who's phenomenal, the one that has been life-changing for me. And every day, before our sessions, she would start with the Jesus Calling book. And I was blown away. And I've seen the Jesus Calling book a million times, right? Over the course of my Christian walk. And it's probably back to that tough guy exterior. It's like, oh, this is this is this great book for soccer moms, I'm sure perfect for them this is not for me the covers pretty and it's just you know I don't know it's not for me and I never investigated it I never opened it up and you know what was being said because it was it was so personal and it was so it was the voice of Jesus talking to me saying things that were true but you know especially for somebody like myself who didn't grow up with their father And struggles to hear these affirming things, you know, I've got to earn that the type of things that are being said in the Jesus Calling book, right? I've got to perform for those things. No, no, this is how he feels about you. And this is what he has to say to you. And it was so therapeutic, so life changing and so helpful that I'm, I'm forever grateful. the fears that you're standing on the edge, the precipice of change, and you're afraid to jump because you just don't believe that change can can really happen. Um, but the, but the reality is that first jump is the evidence of change. You've already begun the process when you take the leap. And so for me, I didn't believe I could change. I didn't believe anything could change. And I didn't believe that it was as bad as i thought it was and so fortunately for me i got pushed <laughs> off the edge of that of that cliff and and i and i got pushed by means of a clinical depression and um and and once your mind is kind of taken over once you're inside of a it's like being trapped in your own mind um you've got to fight to get out of there or you just sit and suffer in in silence. So what I had to do was just journal and write down my experiences. And um, the journaling was good because as I came out of the dark place and my faith was restored, I had things to draw upon, content to draw from. Like, wow, look how dark this was and look how I'm out of this. You know, I, I go back to those journal entries and I'm blown away And how dark and and like, wow, I I didn't even know I was there. And that's one of the most beautiful things that I think realizations I came to is that even in my darkest place, God's there. Like if I return to that dark place, what's the worst thing that's going to happen that I'm afraid of? God will be there with me. When we can see the massive length, the depth, the width, the height of God's love, it's transforming. It transforms our views on everything. If you are wrapped up in visceral hatred and and disdain for someone, look at the depth, the width, the breadth of God's love and how it extends to you when you should be hated, but you're not. If you are trapped in trauma and problems and you just don't see any way out of it, look at the depth, the width, the breadth, the height of God's love and what he's willing to do in order to rescue you from that and i just i think that that's a such a picture that w- you know take a lifetime to understand how deep his love is how wide and uncompar- like non comparing to anything we've ever experienced and so i think if i can get a glimpse of what that means that changes everything for me and everything for this world and everything for this country you know if we can taste of how vast his love is. You've experienced a lot of pain, you've been abused, you've been threatened, you've been treated like you were not human. And you have drawn strength from those things and those circumstances. But you will not understand that strength and understand your most authentic self until you intentionally deal with those things, until you intentionally process and work through those things. You're not going to be able to change the world effectively until you own your story and allow it to turn you into someone amazing. For me, restoration is all about demonstrating grace and love. Because to believe you can be restored is to believe that there are second, third, fourth, fifth, and seventh chances. It's to believe that there can be healing and unity and hope and love. It's to believe that things that are broken can be restored. For me, restoration is all about demonstrating grace and love because to believe you can be restored is to believe that there are second, third, fourth, fifth, and seventh chances. It's to believe that there can be healing and unity and hope and love. It's to believe that things that are broken can be restored. And so that's definitely what I want to be a catalyst for as far as communities, relationships, anything. There's always hope for restoration because God promises that.
1: Thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of the Jesus Calling Podcast. Be sure and subscribe to the Jesus Calling Podcast so you can hear the full stories from each of these guests, and also make sure you get these special bonus episodes each month. For more information on Jesus Calling and Sarah Young, please visit JesusCalling.com, or visit us on our social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.